It's August 22nd, 2018. Welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum, and of course, uh, first up, we'll hear from Chalmer Lowe from Booz Allen Hamilton. And he's here to tell us about the uh, Cybersecurity Hackathon coming up. And of course, uh, right after that, we've got Matt Miller from MasterCard, who works over here in Hawaii. I'm going to ask him how he got around to doing that. On, uh, he works on innovations in payment and new forms of online transactions. So before we get to that, I want to first uh, welcome Chalmer Lowe from uh, Booz Allen Hamilton, and he's here to tell us about what Hack the Wave. Is Hack the Wave still going on, Chalmer? Uh, glad to be here. Thanks. Uh, Hack the Wave, sadly, because of the hurricane, uh, is going to be canceled. Um, I want to tell people a little bit about mm-hmm, that sure. and yeah. kind of line up yeah. some of the other things that we've got going on. So Booz Allen Hamilton is very much invested in the community and trying to help grow the talent pool and the workforce here in in Hawaii. Um, One of the things that we did to try and do that was set up this hackathon that we were going to have over the course of the weekend. Hack the Wave was focused on teaching people cybersecurity, how to explore networks, particular networks associated with maritime security. Mm -hmm. We had produced a quote-unquote boat called Trudy, Mm -hmm. and Trudy had all of the key devices that you would find on a typical maritime vessel, GPS, the AIS messaging system that boats use to talk back and forth, et cetera. Um, And the objective was we're going to walk through an educational track and teach people how do you uh, hack one of these types of devices and explore what's going on in the boat and maybe cause the boat to do things that that are unexpected. Mm -hmm. Now, Um, you know, Chalmer, I mean, Booz Allen has been pretty good about doing sort of hackathons, and they've done sort of internal challenges that mm-hmm. got people to ideate around projects. And I like the idea that they're opening it up to the public to come up with ideas on a platform like Trudy. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things we want to do, right, is, again, kind of grow the workforce mm-hmm. and help develop the talent out here. And by engaging with University of Hawaii students, Honolulu Community College students and students from some of the other universities and uh, community colleges. We get a chance to help them network with folks in the cybersecurity community. Uh, we get folks from other organizations, other companies, whether it be um, you know local businesses, First Hawaii Bank, Hawaii Telecom, HECO, get those cybersecurity professionals to come together and they get to network with these students and get a chance to show them what they know, introduce themselves. And the students and the workforce here gets a chance to see what other opportunities are available right here on the island mm-hmm. without ever having to go to the mainland for, for, for legit cybersecurity work. Now, you sent out an email recently, and of course, you are the sort of the spearhead, the, uh, the inspiration, the energy behind Pi Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were a bunch of things coming up with, or sure. uh, you're trying to organize some activities around Pi Hawaii and, and the, and the uh, coding environment of Python. Tell, tell me about, about that. Sure thing. So Pi Hawaii is a meetup group focused on teaching people how to use the Python programming language and how to use it to do things like automate your work, uh, do data analysis, data science, um, how to create websites and web apps, etc. One of the things that we often do is workshops, tutorials, give people some hands-on opportunity to learn new skills. There is an organization called Project Jupiter. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. heavily focused on data analysis and data science, and they receive grant money. 
So we applied to Project Jupiter for some grant funding to help run some workshops. And we are right now in the negotiation phases of, of getting that grant money. So fingers crossed that we'll have a workshop about four hours in length on how to use Git and GitHub mm-hmm. to contribute to open source projects. Teach people how to use things like Jupyter Notebook and Jupyter Lab to do data science and data analysis tasks. And then kind of the culmination of this series would be a two-day workshop where people from the community get to meet with Jupyter core developers who will fly into the island and get to spend basically two days working on adding new features to Jupyter, fixing bugs, improving the documentation, et cetera. And so, Jupyter, Project Jupyter is really around kind of the concept around open source. Absolutely. And how did how did they get attracted to doing something in Hawaii? Did you reach out to them? And I reached out to them. Uh, again, they they submitted a blog post that said, "Hey, we have these these grants uh, that have come up, and we'd like to offer them out to folks in the community." Mm-hmm. We had done an event with Project Jupiter in the past. We ran a Jupiter Day here on the island. That relationship was reasonably successful. So when we reached out again, they were like, "Hey, you know, this sounds great." Now, is the the lineup of activities, it sounded like you wanted to explore other or more opportunities with the Project Jupiter coming over. Have you, have you sort of experimented with any ideas? We are considering trying to get uh, the core developer who or developers who will fly out, get them maybe into um, some sort of community meet and greet, mm-hmm, much like mm-hmm. Wetware Wednesday or something to mm-hmm. that effect, where folks in the software development community could meet with some of these uh, Jupiter developers build relationships, et cetera. Um, we're also looking at maybe partnering potentially with UH or something. They have a whole data science institute that they're standing up and see if there are some opportunities maybe to get a relationship going there and help them to grow what the data science institute can deliver to the students. Sounds good. So in terms of the Hack the Wave, do you see that being rescheduled sometime in the future? Probably not going to reschedule it. Trudy, she's a physical object, and she is scheduled to to set sail and go to Seattle, and there's going to be a hackathon in Seattle. Um, I don't know if she'll be coming back, Mm -hmm. as it were, but we are definitely looking at a whole series of events. Um, We're looking at some Python capture the flag activities, some cybersecurity capture the flag activities, some hacker trivia activities. So I've gotten some funding to do all of those over the next three, four, five months. And so where can people find more information about what is coming up and how they can sign up? Booz Allen, as a sponsor of Pi Hawaii, um, often advertises out through the Pi Hawaii network. So mm-hmm. if you want to be connected to that, you can go to Pi Hawaii on meetup.com. And you'll get notices of upcoming events. Or if you have a specific question, you can uh, email me at uh, low underscore Chalmer at BAH.com. And that email, I think, will be up on your website. Sounds good. Yes, I'll put it up on our show notes. Thanks, Chalmer, for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate the chance to be here. It's been great. Yeah, great. And, of course, uh, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Matt Miller. And we'll talk about the future of payment. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Urgent Care Hawaii. Every time pledge drives used to come around, I used to go, okay, well, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And then one time I missed. And the next time it came up, I felt really bad because that's when I realized that I missed contributing. 
And I said, this isn't going to happen again. I'm going to go ahead and sign up to become a sustaining member. There is nothing simpler and easier than not even having to think about it and having it taken out of your account every month. My name is David Beasley, and I'm a sustaining member of Hawaii Public Radio. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now joining us is Matt Miller. Matt Miller is the Vice President of Product Innovation at MasterCard. He also is a senior business leader for the Conversational Commerce, which also includes bots and artificial intelligence. And of course, what are some of the drivers for these new payment innovations? Welcome to the show. Thank Matt. you so much, Bert. Appreciate it. Yeah. Now, first off, I want to ask you the um, question I always ask when I hear about these major companies that are actually got employees out here in Hawaii. How did you, Matt, end up working in Hawaii for MasterCard? Well, uh, you know, ultimately it was a, a family that, that issue that drove us, drove us here. So my uh, wife's employed here at Kapiolani Women's and Children. Mm-hmm. So that's what brought us here. But really, when you work for a global company and you've mm-hmm. got a, a global team, it doesn't really matter where you work from. So if you're going to work from somewhere, why not work from Hawaii? It's a great place to be. I like that. I, I, I like the idea that the companies like uh, MasterCard have people out here. I just want to see more. <laughs> of that happening in Hawaii. Sure, yeah, it's so interesting. So there's several of uh, you know my colleagues who work all over. My boss is in Miami. Her boss is in uh, London. I've got employees in Dublin, Shanghai, and New York. So it doesn't really matter. We're all everywhere, actually, end up per- giving us that perfect follow the sun. So every six hours, there's someone on my team uh, hitting the start of their day, which is a lot of fun. Uh, well, certainly good. fun to schedule a meeting. But ultimately, you know, Hawaii is a, a great place to be. It's, uh, you know, helps close that out. I can work with uh, my employee in Shanghai very easily um, and work with New York as well. So it's been great to be here. really appreciate the community and being able to get involved here. Well, you know, before I want to d- dive into this whole idea of, of conversational commerce, I do want to ask you, since you are involved with the startup community, and I know you're one of the mentors for uh, Blue Startups, how did, you, how did you get involved with that? And, and what is it that you help some of the startups with in terms of your experience? Sure, absolutely. So I think, you know, what, one of the great things that I've found here is just there's a really community that's very welcoming and, and easy to become a part of. So I actually learned about it on Bite Marks Cafe. Oh, very good. In, um, that's good. Um, and good. heard about the uh, kind of different programs here and wanted to, to take part. You know, we engage with a lot of startups as MasterCard. I've had a lot of time kind of reviewing, partnering with startups. Um, and so wanted to be able to to share what I could, learn a little bit more about the local tech scene here. And so it's been a great experience working with the whole Blue Startups team, um, as well as kind of just identifying other opportunities to work with the community more broadly. Um, so you bring up a good point because a lot of the companies, the startups that get involved with, uh, with Blue, they are in some way doing something that will transact money on the web. And I would imagine that understanding what some of the opportunities are or what some of the um, different kinds of systems they might have to incorporate into their applications to actually make it work. Now, before we get into some of the the newer innovations, I want to maybe have you explain something fairly straightforward with uh, respect to things like Apple Pay or, or perhaps even Let's say PayPal. So let's say let's say PayPal for example. You get the PayPal or you get the Square uh, Reader, right? Square Reader. You basically swipe the the credit card, yep. and that is uh, in essence a credit card reader. 
Sure. Yeah. So I think um, you know the the card industry, the payments industry, is a lot mm-hmm. of centered around credit and debit cards. Uh, I think we, you know, it's, now I think we've all calmed down about it. But the mm-hmm. chip migration, getting those little chips on mm-hmm. everybody's card in the last two or three years, was a big change. We were actually the last country in the world to do so. France has had that since the mid '90s. So we've been playing catch up with those chips in our cards. Well, you know, um, I thought it was pretty cool when Square came out with theirs, and then they gave it away for free, so you could get your Square, and then all of a sudden PayPal did the same thing, and you could do it with PayPal. But yeah, I guess what this is, uh, we were like a late uh, adopter of this. We were, yeah. So chip technology has has changed the magnetic stripe. Mm-hmm. That was on the back mm-hmm. of the card contained the data that you can see on your card. So the card number, the expiration date. It uh, wasn't a you know wasn't a particularly secure method. It's actually called magnetic stripe data because it's the exact type of tape uh-huh, that was in an old right. cassette tape. Right. Um, if you actually look at the back of your credit card, it's the same size, the same shape, and we actually call the data on it track data, uh-huh. just like you call it track data on a, a cassette tape from what you used to listen to. <laughs> yeah. um, so that technology existed for a long time. We've now moved to chip technology, but ultimately a reader at a merchant location will pull down that information. And some of these more secure technologies like EMV chips, those are that are on the mm-hmm. physical cards, and things like Apple Pay as well, um, will have a f- level of cryptography that exists. So there's a challenge that's sent from the terminal itself. It has some sort of random number that's generated. That's then encoded with a very specific key that's on each individual chip, and then that's sent back to ensure that that is the genuine card that can be used. And, and is that done because there's the, uh, I guess, potential for cards to be uh, counterfeit or, or spoofed in some way? Sure, yeah. So this, those are all risks that do exist. I think ultimately, as a U.S. consumer, you're never liable for purchases that you didn't make. Um, so the credit card companies and the banks themselves have all taken to make sure that you're not at risk. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. always make people feel calm when they're like, oh, my card might be compromised. It's okay. You're not personally financially at risk um, in almost all cases of that. Um, but certainly the, techno- the underlying information can be compromised. Everybody has that inconvenience of being sent a new credit card. It's because it's been captured either because you keyed it in online and it was captured through some way or through physical readers. So it's pretty amazing some of the, the tech that fraudsters will do to put it on top of the gas pump reader, on top of an ATM reader. Um, you know, certainly it's very creative, some of the technology, some of the actual physical things that they'll put to capture that data. But the chip technology, um, which is actually the same technology that's in a solution like Apple Pay, helps to eliminate that risk. There's really no mm-hmm. way to duplicate a chip that's that a we see yeah. at scale today. Yeah. Um, yeah. So because they're actually got this individual cryptography in there that works really powerfully. Now, does the Apple Pay and and let's say Android Pay do they basically work uh, on the same principle? They do work very similarly. There's a slight nuance where Apple really focuses everything on a hardware-oriented solution, mm-hmm. while Android Pay uses a little bit more of a software-oriented solution. But at the the end of the day, they lay on two key principles, and it's always important. It's actually one of the safest ways to pay, safer even than the, the plastic card that you have in your pocket. One is a concept called tokenization, and this is a big part of where the industry has been going the last few years. And the idea is rather than just having that one 16-digit, 15-digit number, depending on the type of payment you have, um, we're going to make different numbers for different use cases. So while they all refer back to the same account at the end of the day, mm-hmm. the actual token that's on there is different. So the number that the merchant sees or that the merchant's terminal sees when you tap with Apple Pay is a s- different number than the one that's physically on your card. At your statement at the end of the month, all looks the same. The transactions are all there. But by splitting up those numbers and splitting up the actual security keys that are involved, we really help distribute the risk and limit the links that can be on there. So Mm -hmm. not only are you authenticating yourself to your device, 
using a biometric like Touch ID or Face ID, but you're also using a tokenized version of your card that's different than any other version of your card. So the one that's on your watch is different than the one that's on your phone, which is different than the one that might be, as we're moving towards tokenizing the cards that are stored at major merchants like Netflix. These are all going to be different variations of that number that all link back to the same account. But if someone were to get compromised, a merchant where you stored something, or the hardware to get compromised at another merchant, the rest of the places where you have a credit card wouldn't be Im- impacted. So we think that's really exciting technology. Now, in terms of the um, the terminals that would that activate or acknowledge a an Apple Pay transaction, those terminals are different than the ones that you would use your, your credit card chip. And I'm also curious whether or not, let's say, Android Pay, would they all be different types of terminals? And when would you see these terminals sort of all getting integrated into one? So they are. So they're based on standards, which mm-hmm. is what's really great about the terminals. Um, and so they leverage a terminal. So it doesn't matter if it's a Visa or a MasterCard or an American Express. Um, they're all based on the same standard. It's part of an organization called EMV Co., um, which is a standards body that all the, the credit card companies are a component of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they all use that same, it's a near-field communication, NFC standard that exists for exchanging that information. So the actual terminal itself, there's actually very, there's a, a small piece of data that if the terminal knows how to read it, it can recognize if it's Android Pay or Apple Pay. Um, but as a whole, it all looks the same. So there are even physical cards that can be tapped that same way. In markets like Australia, we see nearly uh, 80 plus percent of the transactions are done by tapping. They're not inserting, they're not swiping. They're using that near-field communication to make the transactions. And that standard exists globally, uh, and they all work together. So. so is it true to say that you know, in the U.S., we're a little bit behind the curve? Because a lot of these innovations seem to be happening in other countries. Yeah. And, 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 and why is that? So I think one of the you know, great things that we see uh, at you know, the U.S. is we've got a great electronics payments infrastructure mm-hmm, that exists. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about payments is if it's not broke, you don't necessarily feel like you need to fix it. So uh, we generally can use our cards at the restaurants and the grocery stores that we, we, that we want to go to. And there's not a huge incentive to move. And the scale of the United States is frankly just extremely large. You've got, you've got thousands of merchants that make a difference. Oh, that's um, – yeah. No, no. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I – um, I do want to sort of also talk to you about things like doing transactions with uh, within an application like let's say let's say WeChat but uh, we want to hold that thought we'll be right back after this short break uh, to continue our conversation with Matt Miller about innovations in online payment systems this is Bitemarks Cafe Support for ByteMarks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University, Inter-Island Solar Supply, and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And of course, uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking to Matt Miller from MasterCard. And we're talking about new forms of mobile payment systems. And right, right before the break, I mean, we're talking about some of the, you know, the traditional ways that we oftentimes, in the U.S. at least, you know, pay for things via credit cards. But there seems to be a lot of innovation taking place in, in other countries where you know, we, we understandably have this, this install base of cards that we're very comfortable with using. And, you know, even with Apple Pay, you know, you, you have to have a you have to have change your habits by taking out your phone and actually having it interact with the with the terminal. Uh in, in terms of um well before okay, so in terms of some of the other countries, uh 
where credit cards haven't been as influential, what are some of the things that really drive the the mobile payment innovation? Sure. So, I mean, it, the mobile phone is really the, the key technology mm-hmm. that's, that's changed that. I think cash has its limitations, its challenges, its risks associated with it, and the ubiquity of mobile phones across markets has been really remarkable. So we've got teams. I've got an employee who's in Shanghai and works with device manufacturers in China, um, and then another employee who's in Nigeria right now working with solar panel manufacturers. And all of this technology is coming together for us to be able to create kind of new payments experiences based on that key centerpiece, which is the phone. A lot of it as well, and we see in kind of more developing countries, is based around the QR code, the quick response code, Mm -hmm. that little square code Mm -hmm. that you might see printed out or allow you to jump to something. In a lot of other countries, not in the U.S. particularly, that's really become a way that you interact. Um, So specifically in China, both WeChat um, and Alipay, which are two e-commerce giants there within China or, uh, you know, technology giants within China, Mm -hmm. have created payment systems that are really centered around that specific piece of technology, which is this idea of creating a QR code. And it's really about the consumer engaging. So it's actually an even more involved process than we're used to as consumers, but it's been pretty ubiquitous. So it allows consumers to have the access to a payments experience that they didn't necessarily have before. And at the end of the day, they're still interacting with their banks. Um, They're leveraging a different system to do so. And it's really been fundamentally kind of changing the way that consumers pay from taxi cab. You get jump in any taxi cab in most of the major cities in China. You'll see that QR code right there on the back of the driver's seat. You're able to take your phone out, scan it, and push that payment right to them. So this concept of a lot of it is driven on this idea of push payments. So while historically the experience we just talked about mm-hmm. that we have in the U.S. on a day-to-day is you give your mer- the merchant your information and they pull the money through the system. Mm-hmm. This is about push payments, which is you're actually finding out about the merchant. The merchant is giving you their information, and then you're pushing the the payments to them. Now, in okay, so that's a great explanation because I was, you know, I'm I'm used to seeing QR codes, but oftentimes in the U.S., QR codes represent uh, just more information about the the you know that's the painting that it's associated with or some product that it might be associated with, but it it it's never really connected to the uh, push of payment now mm-hmm. in the case of the example that you just brought up in in china where you have a a taxi and you you know you have a qr code and you're pushing where does the where are you pushing the money from Sure. So there's kind of a pseudo account that sits there, but there's actually a direct link that they have to your bank account itself. Um, So similar to kind of a direct deposit type experience, slightly differently structured in China than what we have here in the U.S. Um, It's something that we see as another trend within payments, which is moving towards speeding up what we today have as sort of the ACH system. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. It's a trend called faster payments that we see kind of around the rest of the world. The U.K. has been a big leader in that. Um, And so it's really being able to push direct bank payments in a more efficient process, um, as well as in some cases, these guys are actually holding on and really almost acting as their own banks in the interim as well. You know, um, I heard something funny on, uh, I forget where I actually saw it, but the, it was a conversation that was happening between two Chinese and and they were saying, uh, maybe, maybe you shared it with me, but the, you know, the one was saying to the other, uh, you can pay me via WeChat. So I, I don't use WeChat to pay you know, <laughs> through uh, th- this kind of online transaction. And they say, well, then you're not, you're not Chinese. So it, it's, it's really pervasive in China to actually do these transactions within the, 
you know, the application that's on your mobile phone. Yeah, it's been I mean, a huge area of growth. I think, you know, WeChat is ultimately a messaging application, mm-hmm, like a mm-hmm, WhatsApp or a mm-hmm. Facebook messenger, but it's really grown into the way that consumers use it. Um, you know, one of the big things that really pushed where consumers jumped into payments was this idea of the red envelope, which is a Chinese uh-huh. tradition right, around right. kind of sharing money around the new year. Yeah. Uh, and they created an in a program to do that for person-to-person payments, a sort of digital red envelope. Mm-hmm. And that helps to break the barrier in terms of allowing kind of using this messaging app for payments. And from there, it expanded to paying for taxis, paying for things even at the equivalent of the local 7-Eleven type store. The family oh. marts in, in China will take the QR code payment to make that work. That's, that's fascinating. Now, you know, when you do transactions within, let's say, Facebook, are you still having to require some association with a credit card or a debit card? So traditionally, in most of the rest of the world, um, we still, with some exceptions, India's got some interesting programs in there. And what we see in, in a lot of sub-Saharan Africa is actually what we call wallets, so mm-hmm. digital wallets that are based on the mobile network operators that are based on the actual phone systems themselves. So you pay for your mobile phone, and as part of that, there's a wallet that underpins it. Um, But for the rest of the world, outside of kind of sub-Saharan Africa and China and India, generally at the end of the day, there is a card in the back. So it might be a debit card. It might be a credit card. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. that's generally how we see funding going for the models of today. Um, And yeah, so when you've done the Facebook, there's a we call card on file is the term for it. Um, And that's facilitating the payment at the end of the day. So a lot of those transactions will still happen on the the credit card um, that you've just set up with Facebook some time ago. You set up with Amazon some Mm -hmm, time ago. mm -hmm. And ultimately, it's still transacting on your preferred MasterCard, Visa, whichever that is. Now, you brought up a a project that uh, involves solar panels and the payment of solar panels. And there is no credit card involved. How does that work? Sure. So there's no, you know, we actually put a credit card kind of behind the scene. There's no physical plastic that's mm-hmm. ever printed. There's not actually an, a card, but we use the same principles behind it. So there is a pseudo card within the environment to work. The idea is that uh, across much of the developing world, access to power is actually an issue. Although they likely have phones, they don't always have the, the power to charge them. Uh, they're not connected to the grid. And so we call this kind of this energy inclusion. Uh, mm-hmm. MasterCard really has a strong belief in doing financial inclusion energy inclusion. We've got a lot of great programs with the Gates Foundation and and other groups to do that. And so what we did is we just saw this business model that was emerging, um, which is you put a little bit down and you get access to a piece of technology, in this case, a solar panel, Mm -hmm. and you make a payment over time. If you don't, you know, for some reason, you know, it's a bad crop season, you don't have the funds to make it, you don't have to make that payment at that point in time. And due to the connectivity and the IoT, the Internet of Things, IoT, we're actually able to remotely shut that down. So I say it's it's not actually that different than a coin-operated type situation, but where you're in a village three days' walk from the nearest road, it's not very practical for someone to go repo something off the roof of your house, mm-hmm. right? The repossession mm-hmm. process wouldn't work very well. Mm-hmm. But digitally, we can just shut something down temporarily until you're able to repay. Now, these have incredibly high repayment rates, so it's generally a, a great program. It also helps to create a little bit of a, a credit history. We start to see how people pay back. Um, and create these new opportunities. So what we've done is worked with several of the the solar panel companies that are engaging in this business model to make the payment easier. So because these consumers do have cell phones, they're able to scan. This QR code again shows up. Uh, The QR code is actually embedded within the hardware itself. They scan it. um, It links to that specific piece of hardware, and they can make a payment just using their mobile phone rather than having to top up or acquire credits elsewhere or pay cash and walk three days in to pay, make the payment on your utility bill. Imagine just being able to pay the equivalent of your utility bill by just looking at your meter, pressing it, and being good to go. Now, how does, uh, how does MasterCard 
impact uh, to the degree where they can use the system in a developing country? How do you encourage or incentivize them to actually use your system? Sure. So, I mean, at the end of the day, people want to be able to make their lives easier, want access to electricity, want to be able to, to pay. So they're looking for ways to do it. I mean, I think that the demand is there. We're really just see ourselves as a facilitating entity to make that work for them. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're working directly with mobile network operators across the globe to be able to make sure that they've got the tools that they need to facilitate payments in a safe and secure way. Um, and ultimately, once you've got that account, then you can start buying, paying for things. I mean, really getting access to elements of, of information and marketplace information that you wouldn't have before. Do you see any uh, innovations with the cryptocurrency and having exchange or you know being able to transact with crypto? So we see the blockchain as a very interesting area. MasterCard has a large team devoted to blockchain technology, um, looking at the, the ledger and all the, those items, um, looking at how that works kind of on the main scale. I think the immediate impact for the day-to-day consumer of cryptocurrency is yet to be seen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, frankly, one of the limitations is that transactions per second uh, is is much lower than what Visa and MasterCard have to support today. So um, the technology just isn't really ready to be everybody's day-to-day way to pay. Um, and I think we'll see how it evolves. Once it becomes mature enough to actually address that, then we'll see what we can do. Great. And, of course, uh, Matt Miller, he's the vice president of product innovation over at MasterCard. We want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Bert. Really appreciate the opportunity. And we want to thank you for listening to Bite Marsh Cafe. Join us next week when we'll have a chance to talk to a couple of companies from the Mana Up Cohort 2. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on BiteMarshCafe.org. You can also find us... Uh, well, you can also leave us a comment or suggestions at feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And, of course, our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR1 every Wednesday or anytime on the HPR app. Now, you all stay safe and start try to stay dry with Hurricane Lane coming around. But we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Bite Marks Cafe.